This is Hired. I'm Cameron Mall. Bob Baxley is head of product design at Pinterest. He's worked previously at Apple and Yahoo, and I'm really lucky to have him on the show today. Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Cameron. It's great to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your work history and your role at Pinterest? Sure, yeah. I uh, started in UI design quite some time back. It was uh, 1990, actually. 90? 1990. 9-0. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, I've been at it for a while. So I got hired into a company called Claris. Uh, I worked on a product called ClarisWorks, kind of was the first thing I got to work on. Claris at the time was a wholly owned software subsidiary of Apple. I ended up getting a position at Yahoo. Probably the marquee project there was I uh, led the team that worked on Yahoo Answers, which was an enormously successful product for Yahoo. And really my first experience working on social software really was a phenomenal experience and a a great experience for my work here at Pinterest. Had the chance to leave Yahoo and join Apple as director of design for the Apple Online Store. You know, going back not just to Claris, but really back to seventh grade, Apple had always been a major part of my life. Somehow Steve Jobs had managed to be a character in my life this whole time. And the choice to go to Apple was very much about the opportunity to work with Steve, um, or at least to be in the company when he was there. And I was kind of conscious of stories my wife would tell about people who had worked with Walt Disney back in the 40s and 50s and, and how those were amazing stories that you ended up telling your grandkids. And so I was fortunate to join Apple at a time before it got so big and, and things got a little bit uh, kind of on the celebrity level I and mean, being able to walk around the company and, and, again, kind of interact with Steve and many of the executives that are there today. So uh, at Apple for uh, about eight years, eight years and two weeks, and then uh, had the opportunity to join Pinterest and started here on June 9th of this past year. That's great. I do want to focus most of our conversation on Pinterest, but I've got to ask you a couple questions about Apple as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to work with Steve? You know, I only got to present to Steve about four times, and most of the people working on the Apple products would have presented to Steve on a, like every other week. So uh, I have some friends that run other groups, iLife and iWork and whatnot, and you know they presented to Steve on such a regular basis that I'm not sure any particular meeting stands out. So in some ways, I feel lucky that I only presented four times because every meeting is memorable. And the thing that always stood out was it was just Steve. You know, we would be in the conference room and it would be myself and the VP of the online store. And then the door would open and it would in would walk Steve Jobs. And that was it. And there was no entourage. There was nobody else. And Steve would sit down and we would walk him through the comps and he would look at them and he would give us feedback. And it was always incredible and stuff we hadn't thought of. And then he would leave <laughs> and we would make the changes. And that, I think I was always blown away that he seemed completely unaffected by where he was and what he had achieved and his celebrity. And so I, you know, I also used to see him on a fairly regular basis. You would see him walking around Palo Alto, going to restaurants. It reminded me quite a bit of the stories of John Lennon when he lived in New York and how you could see him playing Frisbee at Central Park. And I was, again, just sort of very impressed by people who not only were unaffected by their celebrity, but refused to be imprisoned by it. So there was that part with Steve. And then the other piece that was interesting was I had the opportunity to present to him a little bit towards the end of his life. And he didn't look healthy, but he always sounded like Steve. You know, there would be moments when you're showing him work and you're listening to yourself talk and you're looking at this person who's, you know, wearing kind of baggy jeans and doesn't look like Steve Jobs, maybe how you'd picture him in the media, but then he would speak, and it was always Steve Jobs, and his voice was always so strong. And it's a, it's interesting to go back and watch videos of him from even the, the mid and early 80s, and his voice was just consistent throughout his entire life. I think that was probably, probably I have more audio memories of the meetings, perhaps, than anything else. Oh, that's fascinating. 
So you left Apple to come join Pinterest. Can you share anything about your reasons for joining the company? Yeah, you know, I had the opportunity to come meet Evan back in January. Uh, I was introduced through one of the investment partners for Pinterest. And Evan at the time was trying to figure out how to scale the design team. They had about seven people on the team and the company uh, was growing quite rapidly and he needed to scale the team. And that conversation turned into other conversations and it sort of became, hey, do you want to come scale the team? which was a great opportunity to use what I'd learned at Apple and Yahoo and other environments. You know, I'm at a point in my career, as you noted, having started in 1990, I'm at a point in my career (laughs) where I've managed now for about 10 or 15 years, and I've gotten to where I really enjoy that part of the job. And so as a designer, I definitely think about designing the products, but I also think about designing the machine that's going to design the designs. And so Pinterest was at a unique moment for me to join and be able to do that. Because you can't really do that in a larger company like Apple, where the design culture is already set. Can't really do it in a five-person startup because there's not enough critical mass there. Uh, But Pinterest was at a particular moment in time where the thing that I really kind of enjoy designing, again, which is organizations and systems, I had the opportunity to do that. And then Pinterest itself is just a phenomenal culture. You know, and it starts right with our founders. If you have the opportunity to ever hear Ben or Evan speak, they're both incredibly thoughtful, incredibly determined, and incredibly humble. And it's rare to meet people, and it's a little bit what I said about Steve, it's rare to meet people who are simultaneously confident and humble. And that combination allows you to uh, get to some really interesting collaborations and some really very positive conversations together. Are there any similarities between what you experienced at Apple and now what you're seeing at Pinterest, or are they really two totally different beasts? Well, they're totally different beasts in that they're really different ages. You know, I'm a parent, uh, as are you, and uh, you know, I've kind of come to think about companies and and how that parallels human development. So, if you think about a company like Pinterest, Pinterest is four years old, right? So it's kind of out of diapers. You know, it still wakes (laughs) up cranky in the middle of the night occasionally, and it has some loose preferences, right? But It's not that picky, and it doesn't totally know what it's going to be when it grows up, and the world's sort of full of possibilities, you know? And four-year-olds are a blast, right? Oh, yeah. And then you take a company like Facebook. Facebook's about 10 now, you know, 10-year-olds. They kind of know what they're doing, you know? They definitely have much stronger preferences. They're able to get themselves dressed, but they're still a little unpredictable. You get to Google. Google, I think, is around 20. So, you know, you kind of think about somebody that's maybe in college or young adult. Uh, still, the world's fairly open. They're still kind of figuring out who they are. And then you get to a company like Apple, which is closer to 40. And by the time you're 40, you kind of have a lot of your preferences worked out. You know how to talk about yourself, what you're doing in life, things like that. So, again, if we take kind of Pinterest at four to Apple, if you will, at 40, I could do a lot of more detailed cultural comparisons, but if you just think about developmentally, there's big differences. And so the way that you can influence a four-year-old is very different from how you can influence a 40-year-old. And that's, you know, that stuff comes out in a lot of, you know, if you look at branding, for example, Apple speaks with a very clear, very consistent voice because they're 40 years old. They kind of know how to describe it. They've kind of got it down. You know, they're not trying to figure out what the corporate typeface is anymore, right? Whereas at a a four-year-old, like we're still kind of working that stuff out. Yeah, I love the comparison to human ages and, and companies because it's very fitting uh, when you describe it in that light. Yeah, I've had a few conversations lately, online and offline, about this label of product design. And, and in some respects, it's difficult to pin down exactly what it is. How would you describe product design at Pinterest? Sure, yeah. On the Pinterest team, we have product designers, and we have visual designers, we have production designers. So the product designers are responsible for whole features. They're uh, mostly using skills that we might think of as interaction design, information architecture. They also do a lot of 
kind of feature visioning that you would expect to come out of some product management organizations. And then they're assisted by people who are, are looking primarily, though not quite exclusively, but mostly how the feature looks, like what's the visual polish to it. And then there's also a production design team, which is responsible for creating the red lines and providing all the final assets to engineering. So if we look at just the product design piece kind of versus the visual design piece, you know, I've come to describe designers as people who, who 100 years ago, some of them would have been writers and some of them would have been painters. And the writers tend to focus on longer form narratives. They look at consistency. They think about how a story unfolds over time. Um, you know, they tend to kind of inhabit the world of interaction design and, and information architecture. Whereas visual designers, who I think 100 years ago largely would have been painters, they tend to communicate uh, in a single flash, in a single eye span, largely trying to elicit certain emotional reactions, sometimes trying to communicate information in a, in a certain way using premises from perceptual psychology and how people organize space and, is, again, kind of in a single eye span. So the magic is when you can get those two disciplines working together. When you get writers and painters working together, you get something magical that we might call the movies. And occasionally, uh, you'll see somebody who can seamlessly move between the two of those. But my experience has largely been that, that most designers have kind of a cognitive bias towards one activity or the other. So again, if we look at Pinterest, we have a significant number of product designers who I think function essentially like writers. And then we have sort of a nascent group of visual designers who I essentially experience operating more as painters. What are some of the design challenges that you face that might be unique to Pinterest and its users? Pinterest is an interesting challenge in the same way that search is an interesting challenge because you have to deliver phenomenal value with little or no UI. And so much of the experience is based on content. Pinterest designs very much how do we deliver the most value with the fewest number of pixels and we stay out of the way. Part of the struggle we have right now is that the conceptual model of Pinterest is a little hard for people to understand. And so they go to simple models like, oh, we're a scrapbooking site. But we're, we're not. We're much bigger than that. Uh, it's a much bigger concept than that. So I, I think our biggest problem right now is trying to get people to understand that we're a discovery engine, that we're a place where you can discover and save things that you want to do, creative ideas that you want to do in the real world. And that's a, it's a little bit more complicated model for people to understand. Do you have a defined target audience or are you really going after anybody and everybody? I wouldn't say we're going, I wouldn't put it quite that way. <laughs> I think the company believes, and I definitely believe, that everybody on earth is fundamentally creative. You know, Again, if you go back to parenting, you and I both know that children are inherently creative right from the very beginning. And there's something that happens largely in school and in their early adult life that sort of winds that out of a lot of people. And so I think Pinterest is for everybody who wants to be creative, which by inference means everybody. I wouldn't use the blanket statement of we're trying to be all things to everybody. We're trying to help people discover the life they want to live you know, and then go and do those things in the real world. I want to shift to hiring for a little bit. Your offices are located in San Francisco. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. We're down uh, south of market area, San Francisco. Okay. So how, how much do companies in, in the Bay Area in general tap into talent that's already in the Bay Area versus hiring outside? How do you guys, how does Pinterest source its talent? Sure. So in the last couple of years, we have sourced from Europe and other places in the United States. 
my preference now that we've gotten the team to a reasonable size and we've grown from nine to about 25 just in the last few months. And so now that we're about 25, I feel like we can be a little bit more careful about our hiring. And so with that in mind, it's my belief that the type of talent we need is located here in the Bay Area. It's my belief that Pinterest is one of the premier internet startups in the world and that we should be able to recruit world-class talent without having to go outside the Bay Area. Although I'm, there is undoubtedly tons of talent across Europe and Asia and all across the United States, and I would love it if all those people would come work at Pinterest. I, it's been my experience that hiring people from out of town has a lot of significant risk to it. For some people, it can be very difficult to acclimate either culturally to the Bay Area. Certainly economically is a very different kind of picture. You know, simply by moving somebody across country, you kind of layered on, not only do you have a new job and a company that's very dynamic and has its own challenges, uh, but now you've also overlaid the fact that they have to adjust to unique economic and cultural climate. It's not that people don't do it. They do. It's just added risk. In addition, just honestly on the hiring front, you know, it's, it's high risk to bring people in. We, we start with a portfolio review and portfolio reviews, I've never found a good way to duplicate those in any other format other than having the person live in the room because it's not really only about the work. It's also how do they manage the room? How do they present? How do they respond to questions? And so you kind of need that real-time performance and it's just really hard to predict in advance who's going to do that well. So there are experiences where you fly somebody in from across the country and the portfolio review doesn't go well, and it's, it's just an awkward moment. So uh, I want to ask you about portfolio reviews. I know you have a lot of experience with that. Can you tell me some of the things you've, you've learned throughout that process? Sure. So there's probably two main lessons I wish more people could understand. The first one is at the beginning of a portfolio review, what I'm really looking for is for somebody to contextualize who they are as a person. You know, we're hiring you as a unique, creative individual. You're going to take our ideas and our company in a slightly different direction from anybody else in the world. So I really need to understand who you are uniquely. And some of the reviews we've done in the last couple of weeks have been fantastic, where people come in either with uh, one, one candidate had a diagram of all the places that she had traveled and how many pictures she had taken on various continents. We had other folks come in. I had one guy a few years ago that just started with like five simple pictures. And he said, this is who I am. There's a picture of his kids, there's a picture of Fenway Park, a picture of a pint of Guinness, and a couple other ones. I can't remember who it was, but like you get through the five photos and you're like, dang, I know exactly who this guy is, right? And so that sets a tone for all the work and it helps me understand the types of problems that person's probably going to be good at and how they're going to approach those problems. So something at the beginning, and it's, it's you know three to five minutes tops, it's not your life story, it's who you are as a designer. So that's one piece I put out there kind of on the positive side. The other piece, which is really more sort of a red flag for me, is when candidates start blaming decisions on clients. And you see it a lot from candidates who have worked either in non-design-centric company environments or when they've worked at agencies. And it's not to say that you have to agree with every decision the client made, but you have to be able to own it and, and take some responsibility for it and at least explain it. And the reason I call that out is because when people just blame it on the client, it triggers for me the idea that they're going to have a victim-type mentality. And that's not going to serve them in an environment like Pinterest or like Apple where they're, they really need to be able to champion ideas and they need to own and be comfortable with all the compromises that naturally take place between the original idea and what's going to get shipped at the end. And if you just start blaming other people, again, I think it can often be a signal that you're, that you're going to fall into this victim mentality and it just doesn't work. 
you've been at this design thing a long time, so I would imagine that uh, you've had quite a bit of experience hiring and working with team members and things like that. Tell me a little bit about, in your experience, what qualifies someone as a great designer, a great team member? So there are a lot of terrific designers who are horrible team members, and there are a lot of great team members <laughs> who are not necessarily great designers. So That's fair. Kind of two separate things. The trick is to get somebody who is simultaneously both. You know, my very firm belief is that design is a problem-solving skill. It's a, it's a human problem-solving activity. It's a peer to other human problem-solving activities like engineering, like science, like medicine, like law. And so when I am talking to designers, mostly what I'm looking for is how do they describe the problem they're trying to solve and the solution that they're proposing. I don't want to get into subjective discussions with people. We try to understand what the problem is so we can have an objective, rational discussion about the quality of the design solution compared to the problem. So when I'm talking to designers, that's a lot of what I'm looking for. I'm trying to understand largely how they think. How are they describing the problem? How are they describing what they were trying to accomplish with the design? Um, and again, that comes out a lot in the interviews and a lot in the portfolio review. And then your second question was what makes a good team member? And that honestly depends on the team and it depends on the environment. So the type of people that I would have been looking for at Apple, which was a, a more developed company, it was a very different kind of culture on the online store. Apple itself has a different culture. Somebody who would have been successful there is somebody who might not have been successful at Yahoo and may or may not be successful at Pinterest. So at, at Pinterest, what I'm looking for is people who can not only collaborate with other designers, but can, we use the term knit, you know, it's one of the four company values, you know, can they come in and knit across engineering, product marketing, product management, research, brand, writing, you know, it's people that can come in and really function in a much larger organization and can deal with enormous amounts of ambiguity. You know, it's, we are a four-year-old startup. We don't necessarily know exactly, you know, what the plan's going to be sort of month to month, quarter to quarter. Things are very dynamic, which is consistent with a company of our age. And some people deal with that better than others. We talk about Pinterest primarily through the lens of three verbs, which is discover, save, and do. We want people to discover things on Pinterest, which is mostly a search and a feed kind of experience. And they want to be able to save things. And then we want them to be able to go do things in the real world. So we've, I think, kind of uniquely defined the design organization around those three verbs. And so there's a manager of discover, there's a manager of save, and there's a manager of do. And again, each one of those managers has two or three designers working with them. And by design, by organizational design, the three of those groups collide quite a bit. And the reason for that is we don't want any particular group thinking they own, if you will, a part of the site, right? We want them thinking about their action, their verb across the whole site. So uh, you might be on the pin close-up page, and there's elements of save, discover, and do all happening on that page. And we want that page to be a comprehensive experience for the user, so we want to make sure that it's being seen by a lot of different design teams, and it's not being kind of balkanized and broken off experientially from other parts. And it's different from how other companies might think about dividing up a product, where they give certain pages, if you will, they give certain nouns to different design teams. And the risk there is that the designers themselves lose sight of the entire experience and they get focused on their one little piece. And so by organizing our team around these three verbs, we actually force all the design teams to think about the comprehensive user experience and everything that they're doing. Was that in place before you came or is that part of your efforts? Yeah, that's part of what I've done in consultation with other parts of the organization. So again, when I started the team, it was seven people, I think, and we're up to about 25 now. So you wouldn't have that robust of a management structure with seven people. That's really been something I've put in place as the team has grown. And I believe that management structure with those groups 
is something that we could sustain as the team grows to, let's say, over the years, 150 people, uh, which would be you know on par with uh, eBay or Facebook or something like that. Particularly those five groups. Again, growth, save, discover, do, and the monetization. Those organizations are paralleled on the product management side and on the engineering side, which was also by design. So if you take the design manager for save, he has a one-to-one counterpart on product management and on engineering. So I'd read something by Jason Wilson where he was speaking about the future of Pinterest, and he said, we're at level one of maybe 100. What's next for Pinterest? Can you tell us how your team is shaping that future and what level 100 is going to look like? I don't think any of us can tell you what level 100 is going to look like, but I agree with Jason's sentiment that we're very much in early stages. You know, I've got a couple of stats I can share with you. According to Comscore, we've got about 70 million people visiting Pinterest each month. That leaves an awful lot of people on the web yet to discover Pinterest, but 70 million is not uh, a small number for sure. 75% of our traffic comes from mobile. 75%? Comes from mobile, yeah. That's astounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this one shocked me, and these are some numbers I didn't know before I joined the company. Do you have any idea how many pens there are on Pinterest? Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Would you, like, a million? Uh, gosh, it's got to be in the high 100s of millions or maybe even into the billions. Yeah, or like 30 billion. 30 billion? 30 billion pens, yeah, of which uh, 30 billion pens living on 750 million boards. Oh, my heavens, that's crazy. Let's see, activity outside the U.S. We grew our active users outside the U.S. by 150% last year, so we're growing faster outside the country than we are inside the U.S., so we'd expect international, if you will, to overtake uh, the U.S. part of our uh, audience fairly soon. 450 employees in six countries, including the U.S., England, France, Japan, Germany, and Brazil. Sites available in 30 languages. And the number of men on the site has doubled in the past year with about a third of all new signups being men. So I think one of the things with Pinterest is because you experience it sort of as an individual and as a personalized service, it's hard to understand how much is there. So I think one of the challenges for us and the guided search feature that Jason worked on and that we released a few months ago, which has dramatically increased search traffic actually by about 25% per person, I think that's helping to open the way where people realize all the things they could do on Pinterest, right? Like when we get off this call, I'm hoping you're going to go to Pinterest and you're going to do a search for maybe some project you're thinking about doing around the house. Uh, maybe one of your sons is in Boy Scouts and you're looking for ideas for Pinewood Derby cars. You're going to find a lot of great ideas for Pinewood Derby cars on Pinterest, way more than you can possibly imagine. And you're going to have a dramatically better experience than you would on Google. You're not going to get a bunch of text links pointing you to other sites. You're going to get a bunch of pictures with ideas and it's going to get you really fired up and it's going to get him fired up. And there's thousands and thousands and millions of different ideas like that that are all waiting for you on Pinterest. Do you know how many Pinewood Derby cars I've built or helped my sons build up to this point. It's got to be in the 20s. And I'm not once have I thought to look on Pinterest. Shame on me. That just, you say that and it seems so obvious. Yeah. So when you think about, and you know, again, back to Jason's comment, when you think about how does Pinterest go from one to a hundred, we are this amazing resource that I'm not sure people are thinking about. So there are clearly there are design challenges and opportunities for us from a, from a product perspective. And we're going to continue to work really hard on those. You strike me as a guy who seems very down to earth, obviously worked very hard throughout your career to get where you're at. But at the same time, you strike me as someone who's probably a dad, a family man, just as much as a designer. Is, is that true? Oh, definitely. How do you strike a balance between work and, and personal life? Yeah, everybody struggles with that. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of it's getting clear on your priorities. And you know, this came up for me at Apple 
for me personally, I think I kind of get three priorities. And so it was very clear for me, number one is family. Number two is work. Number three is myself. And if anything suffers in the work-life balance, it's probably me because I don't work out as much as I should. I don't take care of myself and I don't read books the way I should. But when I have to make a decision, family's first. And I choose to work in environments that celebrate that. That's a big part of why I'm at Pinterest and why I'm not at other companies that maybe don't respect that as much. I also think it's up to the individual to find their own balance and be very consistent about it. You know, as a manager, the thing I look for is consistency in people. And I try to encourage my team not to try to design by heroics. You know, if somebody's up here till midnight, it's a failure of management, either on their part or my part. You can't run a sustained company over a long period of time on heroics. You know, (laughs) that's not to say there aren't points in the process that require more effort and more time. Um, but they need to be kind of planned and managed. And the last thing I'll kind of say on that point is that we're, I believe that we're sort of fortunate as designers, and especially designers who are responsible for creating game-changing features and new ideas, that the way we're judged is the quality of our ideas, not necessarily by our efforts. So if you have that great idea when you're walking the dog, which honestly is when I do most of my design work, because I do most of it in my head, you know, if you have that great idea when you're walking the dog or you're driving to work, I don't care. It, I don't think anybody has a great idea sitting in front of their computer in Photoshop. And I think they probably express a great idea sitting in Photoshop, but that's not what we're always paying them for. So I think the, the work-life balance thing, I think there's a way to think about it where, where it shifts a little bit when you're getting paid for really rich, high-impact, creative work. And frankly, like you're probably not going to have a million-dollar idea when you're working yourself till three o'clock in the morning every day. What's your opinion about unsolicited redesigns as a, a way to develop one's experience? And, and is that positive or negative? So if somebody came into Pinterest for an interview and they showed you a redesign of Pinterest, would that be something that would be looked at uh, positively? Or is it a negative thing that they don't understand the context and things like that? Yeah, I think it's a negative thing because they just don't understand all the context. And and we did see pe- we do see people do that at Pinterest and I saw people do it on the Apple online store. And the problem is there's just so much business context they don't have. So if they're going to redesign something, they need to and present that, they need to redesign something where we don't know anything about it. So like one of the things I saw not too long ago was a redesign of the airline boarding pass. And I thought that was terrific. It's something that people can understand. It's a great information design problem. And it showed some really some great thought. But if you come in and show me how we could change the Pinterest home feed, there's so much data and metrics and user behavior and technical constraints that you would never have visibility into. I'm just not going to be able to judge your design with an open mind. So someone who's listening to this episode, any suggestions you'd give them for getting their foot in the door at Pinterest? Yeah, I would... Try to encourage people to think that companies actually need you. You know, design talent is probably the fundamental constraint across all of technology right now. And having been in design for 25 years, I can assure you it's never been a better time to be a designer. I would encourage people who are designers to think broadly about where they can contribute and to not be shy about sending links or contacting me or other design leaders through LinkedIn or whatever format they can find. I mean, we need you. So, stand up like because we're out there we're working hard to try to find you and so if you are interested like just raise your hand and then on top of that you know once we start the conversation you know there is discussion about your skills and experiences where you've worked and then in our particular case you know passion for pinterest 
it's a little bit of a downer when I get an email from somebody and they're excited about the role and I can't find them on Pinterest. You know, they're not they're not users of the of the site and the service, and that makes it harder to be excited about their candidacy. Sounds like you have some openings among those teams. Is that right? Uh, we do. Anything you'd like to promote? <laughs> yeah, we're we're a growing startup, so uh, we're primarily looking for visual designers right now, but are always interested in superstar uh, product designers and certainly look at, at uh, both tech writers and uh, production designers as well. Bob, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Uh, this has been very enlightening for me, and I'm sure for our listeners. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Cameron. It's been a great opportunity. Look forward to talking more in the future. <laughs>